Um, I am excited to eventually see you all in person, uh, mainly because of the accountability of uh, having to get in shape to be there in person with you all. So uh, I've, I've sort of lazily been rolling out of my bed and walking the 20 feet to my living room to, to preach the last uh, year plus. So I look forward to seeing you all in person. And one of the things I, I want to point out, um, there is a psychological term called nearception. And I uh, you can certainly Google it and, and read more about it. But one of the interesting things that happens is when we're in person, it's it it's akin to, I'll, I'll describe how it looks like. So I see Rebecca, Rebecca sees me. She knows how I feel. I know how she feels. And so by us being in person, we're able to feel safe around each other uh, through near reception. And so I see brother Jimmy, even though we've been emailing for the last, uh, you know, 10 months, but when we see each other and shake each other's hands or give each other the elbow dap in person, that, that the nearception is such where uh, we feel comfortable and safe and, and feel like family again. And so um, one of the tragic things that's happened during the Zoom period is that, you know, I get to see all of your, your cool backgrounds, but for some of us who are struggling with loneliness and uh, possible depression or anxiety, like it's hard to reach out to, uh, you know, to the box, uh, to Beatrice's box and, be able to grab the box, right? So, or to hold the box. And so I think um, one of the interesting things that will, will happen when you all congregate again together is this near reception thing, which obviously is a gift of God. Uh, let's take full advantage of that. And so whether that's inviting uh, new people to services or, you know, hugging someone that may have lost a loved one or, you know, uh, uh, taking care of a kid that might have uh, stubbed their toe. Uh, let's let's get back in touch with each other as, as God's uh, congregation uh, at some point soon. And so again, I, I think I'll be seeing you all uh, fairly often the rest of the year. And so I look forward to seeing you uh, in person, but we'll we'll get by with the boxes for the time being. So um, hope everyone is hanging in there. Uh, I'm never going to, you know, even though I'm a uh, psychologist and I help people and, and uh, support people, uh, believe it or not, I'm, I'm not necessarily like a positive psychologist. I'm not all about the everyone's going to feel better, but my hope is that you will be encouraged by uh, the sermon today. It, it took quite a bit of while to get this on, on pen and paper, and so my hope is that I don't get in the way of what God uh, has to share with us. Okay. So let me share my screen, um, and uh, before we start, um, let me open us up in prayer. Uh, God, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for this remnant that has supported each other and loved each other. Uh, thank you for all these uh, young young high schoolers and college folks, uh, especially Asolia and Lydia, I believe, that have graduated and you brought them to a different phase and transition in their in their uh, walks and their lives. And I pray that you sustain uh, fourth home, uh, both the English and uh, Chinese speaking side, and give them uh, continued good leadership that relies heavily on you, Father. We thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to share my screen here. Does everyone see that I've accidentally skipped ahead? So let me move my way back. All right. So um, again, good to see everyone. Uh, my wife did not like the original uh, title, so she, she changed it to the purpose of seeds and weeds. And so of uh, seeds and weeds sounds like a Shakespearean uh, dramatic play that goes for four hours. And so I hope that I don't go four hours this morning. So, uh, so the purpose of seeds and weeds, um, and one, one disclaimer is I, I've destroyed uh, numerous succulents during this COVID period. I've also kind of destroyed my grandma's favorite uh, 
uh, bamboo plant. So I'm a black thumb. So I, I farming and gardening is not necessarily a skill of mine, but I'll do my best to translate uh, essentially an agricultural conundrum for us, us believers. Okay. Uh, so a couple of things to understand with sermons. This is from my uh, spiritual mentor, Don Netton, who, uh, if y'all can pray for uh, he and his wife, they're, they're struggling heavily with health issues. And so his name is Don Etten and his wife is Marilou. Um, he always sort of starts with this passage what, or, or this uh, sort of set of questions. What was God intending to tell the original hearers and audience of his word? Meaning all the folks that originally uh, heard uh, this passage. And then what is the most godly and appropriate way to translate and apply that original message in our current times? Okay, and so one of the things that would put me to sleep, uh, my young folks in the congregation, was a lot of times when hearing New Testament uh, passages, it would be about seeds, weeds, agriculture, uh, wine presses, um, just stuff that that I as an urban kid in, in Texas never knew about. Uh, as a pretty sheltered kid, I, never, I only went from our home to the family grocery store, so I never knew about half this stuff. And, and as I've grown older, I, I find more interesting just this you know, how Jesus used uh, these simple, what are considered simple terms, but really profound uh, things. And, and yet our, our task is to translate, you know, on our own behalfs and try to apply it in our lives. All right. So again, I, I thank you, Brother Darren, for reading the, the passage. So I, I've thrown in some commentary in here, but again, starting from verse 23, the reason you'll find there's a reason why I'm linking the previous parable to the current one. And so, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so all of us have been in VBSs, Sunday schools, uh, other sermons where we hear the, the four different paths that seeds end up being on. And of course, you know, many of us since uh, our childhood, when we were young Christians, we wanted to be, you know, the good soil. We wanted to be the good soil kids, right? Um, and then as, as you get older, what you discover, I think Brother Jerry and Brother Howard and Brother Jimmy have, have discovered as well as uh, Sister Beatrice and you know, Sister Rebecca and Sister Solia. Um, our job really is to sort of look after and, and minister to the other soils uh, or the, the, the seeds in the path or the seeds in the thorns or the seeds on the rocky ground. And so my, my hope is that we will, we will make that uncomfortable transition to uh, learning how God's going to use us in other people's lives. Um, so in verses 24 and 25, and keep in mind, I, I wanted to put all these pictures of, of these, these different weeds, and I, I have no clue what they are. So these are sort of just borrowed from whatever images I could scrounge up. But Jesus told him another parable, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And again, so we have, uh, I imagine if, if uh, you use your imagination, you have a large field, maybe an acre or so or, or, or beyond. Uh, you know, the man, man basically uh, uh, planted the field, tended to it, created the rows for the water to properly irrigate. And then at, the, at night, uh, some enemy comes in and sowed, sowed weeds among the wheat. Uh, and so for the curious, no clue who the enemy is. Um, the easy answer would, would be to say Satan. But again, we are looking at the parable here, and so we don't know if it's a competing farmer. We don't know if it's just mean kids, or sorry, mean adults. It could be mean kids or adults. Okay. Um, and so when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. 
So the very products that we crave and love, whether it's, um, you know, Shanky Bakery bread or 85 degree bread, 85, uh, 85 C degree bread, or all the wheat products that we crave and love that may or may not be healthy for us. Uh, when, when that product in the wheat uh, sprouted and formed heads, which make it uh, uh, pickable by that point, the owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Sounds almost accusatory, congregation. It's like, hey, you know, hey, man, you planted all these wonderful uh, crops of, of wheat, and why are these weeds with them again? And so it, it can certainly come across as, as making accusations about uh, what the what the master or what the owner did, or frankly, what the servants did, because uh, I presume they had a role in planting uh, the wheat seeds. So this is, a, I wanted to make sure to be culturally appropriate. So I think this is a, a scene from somewhere in Southern China. Uh, I'm, I'm Cantonese speaking. So apparently my, my generations go way back to uh, uh, Guangzhou and, and Southern, Southern China. So um, the owner immediately replies, an enemy did this. The, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? And so the interesting thing is you, you get the sense the owner knew the enemy was up to something. So uh, generally, and, and again, I, I've never been on a farm. I've, I've never had crops, but uh, I imagine if, if it's something that means something to other people in terms of getting paid for your crop, you want to protect it, right? And so uh, you get the sense that the owner knew the enemy was up to something here and, and that the weeds would be planted uh, among the seeds. And so here's the most interesting part. All right, this is a picture probably straight out of Americana, you know, somewhere in the Midwest, uh, maybe even Texas, uh, deep south. But uh, the owner says, no, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So... So these are sort of Captain Obvious statements, but for, for my brothers and sisters here, the idea is that now that the weeds have grown up with the wheat, you have them essentially together or around each other. Okay, And so uh, there's an old term, don't, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, that might be familiar to some of us older folks. Um, but in essence, we, we don't get the right to, uh, as the servants to pick everything up and to uproot everything and chuck everything away because then uh, the owner won't have anything to harvest for, for the season. And guess what? If you have nothing to harvest, you are instantly homeless in most farms and agricultural regions. Okay. So the weeds and the seeds have to stay together, or that the weeds and the good stuff have to stay together. Okay. And so the, these parables that Jesus spoke in, uh, just, just a reminder that these are a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And Oxford Languages points out specifically, these were taught by Jesus in the gospel. So there's no way that Let's say if I and uh, brother Howard wanted to collaborate on a book, could we call it a parables of Howard and Gary? Because essentially parables are attributed to Jesus. And so it almost be, it would be sacrilege if, if brother Howard and I decided to write our own parables, right? And I, I certainly don't think we could write anything that, that would outdo what, what Jesus mentioned to his disciples and to the people that he shared these uh, parables with. On the other hand, it's important to grasp that this was a way for Jesus to teach those that were meant to get the message and then very strongly in, uh, in parentheses, and also to ferret out the ones that would never get it. Okay. Let me unshare for a second. Um, let me ask the congregation, why is it so important that these parables are so transparent to, let's say, people like us, 
like, ah, oh, yes, the weeds and the seeds have to stay together, or the good stuff and the bad stuff has to be around each other. Um, so why in parentheses does it ferret out a different message for some people that, that are never meant to get it? Anyone want to take a guess? Because it's probably one of the more difficult things to, to look at in our Christian life. Anyone want to take a shot? Or I might call on someone. <laughs> Beatrice, do you want to take a shot at this? So why do the parables for Beatrice make sense to some people, which ideally would be us believers, and then it makes no sense whatsoever to other folks that might be reading it and just dismissing it or poo-pooing it? You can also tag in a friend. <laughs> I'll tag this friend in. What's <laughs> <laughs> well, like double brother Jimmy? Double, yeah. double Jimmy vision. Yeah, sorry. I, I had to admit that I was paying attention on the Chinese side. So I, I have my two year from one on the stuck on a I iPad, the other one on the MacBook. So I, sorry, Gary, I missed your question. I have to admit that. Yeah. I'm going to tag in Sister Rebecca then. Okay. Well, I was thinking because parables often come with the connotation that it's just a story, especially like it's a story for children. It's not, it's like the end of the day, it's just a story. But like the stories in the Bible, I think it means more to some people than to other people because for those that it means a lot to, we understand the context in which these stories are told. And we understand that while they are stories in the Bible, they're also things that actually happened and we take them for the truth of the matter asserted. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like, because we know that it's not just a story that somebody made up and it's not just for children, it's actually a life lesson embedded within the Bible um, that allows us to kind of put more weight to these stories and treat them not merely as stories, but like as life chronicles of Jesus. I, I like the last four words, the life chronicles of Jesus. So the one thing to point out, and, and I love what Rebecca shared, and I understand Jimmy, sorry to put you on the spot. Um, but in essence, you know, I will share this one uh, Aesop's fable, one of my favorite ones for, for all time. And it, I'm pretty sure it's an Aesop's fable, but it's a story of the raccoon that uh, got its, you know, paw stuck in a tree to grab a piece of gold. And so basically when it tried to extract its, its fist or extract its uh, uh, little, little, little toesies or, or footsies, um, it, it could not bring, you know, the piece of gold outside of the, uh, the tree trunk, right? And so um, without remembering the exact way the story ended, eventually either the, the raccoon would have to die because essentially it would never feed itself again or it had to relinquish the gold and to be able to extract itself from its paw from the tree. And so those are, you know, the, the Captain Obvious uh, application would be, you know, someone, some simpleton might say, don't chase gold, which is probably not the right message. But on the other hand, um, a more sophisticated vanished point would be to say, 
if your if your arm is stuck, then you have to relinquish what it is that's keeping you stuck, and so you'd let it go and and be able to pull your your paw free. In this case, when we go back to uh, uh, thank you, Re uh, Sister Rebecca, again, and, and uh, so we go back to the parables. These are truths given to us by by our Savior Jesus, and so you bet for sure we're supposed to get it uh, for all of us. And so if we don't get it, uh, certainly you know I want to encourage you guys to ask you know Sister Asolia or Brother Howard or ask your church leadership like what does this mean the parable of the sower am I the rocky person am I the thorn person right ideally we would understand we'd want to be the good soil right or we'd, we'd want to be connected to uh, the good soil in this case that one of the more interesting answers would be using current technology would be to say well we just need to create a better machine that would rip away the reed the weeds and to uh, maintain the integrity of the crop, right? And I'm sure those things exist. Again, I, I'm, I'm probably the least knowledgeable about this stuff, but I'm sure the technology exists to extract the weeds and to keep the, um, you know, whether it's like through hydroponics or something like that. But that's really not the point of the parable, right? And and like, uh, like Sister Rebecca mentioned, these are the life chronicles of Jesus. And so he wants us to understand the weeds need to stick around, right? And so... Uh, for the, for the homeowners in the congregation, what is the very first thing you're doing in your backyards every weekend? You're pulling up weeds. You are uh, removing the stuff off the sidewalk. You are trimming the green out of your uh, walkways, right? And so Jesus is uh, essentially saying here, I think in application, no, the weeds stay as awkward as that sounds for your house, but for the kingdom, they stay, right? And, and so and we'll get to why that's such an important uh, distinction there in a second. So what are the purposes of weeds? I had to ask uh, my, my wife, Emily, why are weeds here? Because I, I don't, you know, I don't care to, you know, when, when it's time for us to, to, to buy our house at some point, you know, um, I probably won't be doing much of the gardening, to, to be fair. But to survive, to compete for belonging, to generally make life tough for the crop that the farmer wants to succeed, or the native fauna. And then like, like Emily mentioned, take over and dominate the nutrients and to occupy space and resources. So we have this, I don't even know what this is. Uh, is this a dandelion? This is not a dandelion. But this is a weed that's just growing. Oh, it is a dandelion. So this is a dandelion set of, a set of dandelions that's growing in a grassy area. And so you can bet this guy's probably taking over uh, the immediate area. So just to review, parable to sower, we knew that there were four outcomes of the seed planting. They grew on the path, therefore they died. They grew on the rocky ground and eventually withered away or got stuck in the thorns, which could be attributed to weeds and eventually taken over and then the good soil. And so we have, a, we have a clue as a congregation, as brothers and sisters, that at least three, if not more scenarios exist where we have no clue if the seed will survive or last long. And I think that's critical to understand in this Christian walk, okay? Um, we have three of these four scenarios where path equals concrete, right? Or tough ground, uh, since, you know, for, for our Jewish friends, the, the, the ground is pretty rocky in, in Israel. We have rocky ground where it has no shot at making it uh, up up past the, the, the floor of the, the earth. And then in the thorns, which essentially take over and, and destroy, and then good soil. So there are scenarios where the weeds win. Uh, the weeds look like they win. Okay. And so just briefly, I, I had to do some research because I, I feel awkward if I didn't share with you guys that California has apparently more than 40 invasive plants. And so this is from epicgardening.com. If you haven't seen this in the area, apparently that's good, uh, but this is called the Sahara mustard 
or the Moroccan mustard or Asian mustard. And so these three scores, the impact meaning in A, it's not like how we get A's in school. The A, the A score is devastating. Uh, the invasiveness score is an A, which means it's pretty invasive. And then the di distribution score, which is a B, means that it distributes itself all over the place. So this is a bad, bad boy or a bad, bad girl, if you want to give it a, a gender uh, assumption. So the Saharan mustard plant shows up all over the San Joaquin Valley, which is uh, where Stockton, Merced, Modesto, all those areas are, and other desert regions in California. As its name implies, it originates from Northern Africa and the Middle East, but it but made its way to the Americas across thousands of miles and quickly invaded many native regions of California. Like the giant reed, it contributes to fires as high biomass, meaning that when there are fires, these guys burn up and they burn up hot uh, and quickly. And as it invades recently burned areas also very quickly. So not only does this guy um, you know, basically help with fires getting bigger and bigger, but when the fire is put out, then it shows up again. So it's probably one of the more annoying and evil sort of invasive plants. Okay. Again, so that's sort of my contribution to you guys in terms of understanding uh, that, that there are weeds that do not belong. Okay. On the other hand, I, I, because I'm more of, again, someone that, that understands uh, different other types of flowers, we have examples of invasive weeds here in the US. Believe it or not, who are my sunflower fans in the room? Right. My grandmother's favorite, and they're my favorite as a result. Okay. Uh, believe it or not, these are invasive in the Midwest, right? Because these large things rise up out of the ground. And if you're trying to thresh wheat or if you're trying to uh, plow wheat, having one of these guys with the big head and the, the sun looking thing is going to destroy the uh, machinery, right? Uh, I think. I think that's the way it works, right? So in the Midwest, as beautiful as these guys are, I'm pretty sure a lot of Midwest women and men are, are buying them in the stores. But when they're in the fields, they're really annoying and, and they prevent uh, farmers from harvesting their crops very easily. Okay. Uh, Wishasole was here, but for the next slide, um, in my native state of Texas, believe it or not, these guys are all over the place uh, during the spring for, for a month or so, blue bonnets. Okay. No one in Texas considers them invasive. And so who would consider them invasive? Non-Texans. Uh, I put weirdos, just kidding, right? Aren't these beautiful? Uh, our, our seventh grade science project was collecting as many of these and finding as many creative ways to press them into a booklet as we could. So I had a fun time driving around um, San Antonio to find these blue bonnets. Okay. Uh, I'm just kidding about the weirdos comment, uh, brothers and sisters. But again, so this is an invasive weed in Texas, but because these don't spread out and kill other things, they're seen as okay. And frankly, because, you know, beauty bias they look beautiful, so everyone considers them beautiful. But I imagine if they were, if they were brown and yellow, no one would want these things. They would never cut them away, or they'd never collect them. So again, now we have examples of weeds that were never meant to be around, and then weeds. In this case, we have entire tours of Texas, South and Central Texas, where you could go around driving around to look at these things. And hopefully, I get to take uh, my wife and my family there someday. All right, so what was Jesus trying to get at? And he, here's where I think um, if some of us are confused about why we're spending so much time on crops and weeds and seeds. Um, one, these were always God's crops. So there, there's a reason why it says the owner or the master when it comes to any of these uh, any of these parables, it's God's. We are all God's, right? So, uh, so it was always God's crops and harvest to begin with. 
And as a result, there were always going to be weeds on the earth and in our lives. And this is where we make the uncomfortable yet necessary transition to what weeds are in our life. Okay, so again, my wife and I live in Santa Clara. We don't have land, so we don't see weeds anywhere. But on the other hand, some of you at your homes see the weeds every day, right? And so how and what we define as weeds differs too, okay? All right, a handful of us love sunflowers, but some of us are like, yeah, sunflowers, whatever. Like, I don't really like them at all. And so this is where we need to tread carefully in our lives. And so uh, the one thing I would encourage us as brothers and sisters to do, especially myself, uh, no fast and loose thinking. In other words, uh, that thing is bad, therefore I'm good, right? The psychological term is, is called the not, the not I, meaning that brother Jerry must be bad because I'm good or sister Rebecca and Beatrice are bad because I'm good, right? You can see how easily that can make uh, enemies of people. But in essence, in essence, what I'm encouraging in your theology is not to think fast and loose, which is like, I'm doing okay, therefore brother uh, Jimmy's not doing okay, or brother, brother, um, you know, Darren's in danger, right? And so we easily go to this sort of zero one binary thinking, thinking I'm good and therefore you are bad. Um, and guess what? For my Star Wars fans, guess who are the bad people, right? It's usually the Sith people. And that's a very dangerous way to think about other folks uh, because, again, we're all God's children and, and God controls the crops and the harvest to begin with. And then in, in my work in the last uh, 11 or so years, here are the groups of people that I've worked with. And, and I'm, I'm making a point here. At-risk teenagers, meaning uh, teenagers in group homes and continuation school. Uh, criminal justice system adults. So these are people that are on probation or parole. Uh, female and severely mentally ill inmates. So those are folks that are staying in jail for quite a long time. Uh, tech workers that are not doing well. Again, I, in my current uh, groups, I have an executive of a company. I have um, someone that is uh, number four in their company. So we have folks that are not doing very well uh, during this COVID period. Okay. And then right now in my private practice, Asian American families whose kids are failing, and I'm putting that in quotes because failing to Rebecca might be a 3.7, but failing to Beatrice might be a 2.8. And then in my case, uh, in college, I, I had a period where I, I may have been failing, where I had a, a 1.9, right? So it, it's different, you know, in terms of what failure looks like for people, okay? And then I, obviously this is kind of uncomfortable to say, but churches that are struggling, okay? So I, I understand that a good friend of mine reached out and, and originally pointed me to your church. I also work with a church in uh, Livermore where the the pastor has, has left for many, many years until recently. So uh, so I have to be careful. I'm just saying this as, as your brother in Christ. I have to be careful about what I consider to be consider to be weeds because, again, it's easy to say any of these groups, you know, teenagers that aren't making it, we can dismiss them, right, easily, especially criminal justice people. We can certainly, we've certainly dismissed them out of society easily. Female inmates, right? Um, the example I might have given it a while back was that our female inmates, they get one hour of out time a day, and then the male inmates get eight hours of out time to play volleyball and play basketball. And uh, to me, that's horrendous, right? Because guess what? If you, if you keep a lot of women indoors with a high-carb diet, guess what goes up? Weight, right? And so, uh, so we are inadvertently creating more medical problems in our, in our prison and, and jail system because we don't treat uh, women with the same respect as men. And then these are sort of self-explanatory tech workers that are not doing well. Asian American families where, you know, I, I work with someone where they've not turned in their homework in the last 12 months, right? Just because they fear a lot of things, right? Fear judgment, fear uh, sadness, fear 
uh, failing. And so, so we need to be careful. We can't play fast and loose with our thinking as brothers and sisters of who are the weeds in our lives. Okay? And I hope I made that point very clear just using my own example. On the other hand, for us believers, ideally, this is where I think this makes sense for us, all of us on the call. For us believers, this simplifies our life purpose to grow and to bear fruit. Okay. So God, what do you want me to do today? Okay. We're going to, you know, for my wife and myself, we're going to speak uh, to, to fourth home. Then we're going to go babysit all these uh, uh, really wrangling kids and try to chase them down around a backyard. And then I got to do some work tonight. But in other words, it simplifies things. If I don't have to worry about uh, brother Jimmy's walk, or if I don't have to worry about brother Jerry's uh, devotional life, right? That that I can just simply grow and bear fruit because I stay connected to God, and we find that in John 15. If if you're looking for a reference, uh, God does take care of the weeds at the end, and that that is sort of for our our more judgmental aspect to ourselves. Yes, the bad guys do lose at the end, uh, but it's only because God determined so, right? And that that's the hardest part for people to get is that if you ever watch televangelists, they will presume that they are on God's side and they are judging, you know, the, the bad people. And what I'm saying is we need to take a far more humbler route uh, as Christians and just focus on growing and bearing fruit. And so we see that in verse 30. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And the, uh, the connotation here, which I think uh, Sister Rebecca hinted at, we get to be gathered as God's harvest, and then we get to go home. We get to go home to heaven. And uh, I know I look forward to that day, but there's still a lot of work to be done while on this planet. And then most importantly, this prevents us and shields us from unnecessary struggles and time with pulling, killing, or limiting weeds. And what I mean by this isn't your backyard or your front yard, uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, this is sort of the, the what I call the rabbit holes of our life, trying to focus on that one friend that may be you know, trying to draw you out manipulatively, or that cousin that continues to borrow money from you that will never ever return it, but they're using it for, for negative stuff. Okay. So uh, in a lot of ways, we are called to give up our weeds and our, our struggles to God. Uh, that's sort of a Captain Obvious statement. But in, in essence, the idea is that God loves us enough to say, hey, you know, brothers and sisters, focus on these things. Finish school. So finish school, Lydia. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, brother Jerry, take care of the scheduling for the rest of the year. Uh, Brother Jimmy, make sure, you know, Beatrice isn't putting weird Zoom backgrounds on her wall, that sort of thing, right? But in all seriousness, it's it's sort of like it, it prevents us from having to go down those rabbit holes of why is Gary doing this thing or why is Emily doing this thing or why is, you know, Jerry doing this thing? Uh, it prevents us from, frankly, looking out at other people and their stuff, and it focuses our, uh, focuses us on ourselves. And so as we round, round into uh, to home plate, sorry, the sports analogy, one thing I wanted to think about on behalf of us is uh, this is a tweet from uh, a friend that I met on Twitter, and uh, he's a youth pastor in San Antonio, Texas. And so he, he, he pointed out something a couple weeks ago from Augustine in his book, Confessions. Our hope is that we may, be, we, we may cease to be miserable in ourselves and may find our beatitude in you. For you have called us to be poor in spirit, uh, to be meek, to mourn, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful and pure-hearted, and to be peacemakers. So, uh, so what uh, Mr. Sainz says is that he's quoting Augustine, saying we are essentially the uh, the Beatitudes, the people that that are listed in the Beatitudes. And so we make may we take on the attitude of those that that are poor, that are in, in bad in spirit, to be meek, because it puts us in direct line of contact with God. 
And so why is that last part important? Because again, uh, and Matt, I think this is in Revelation 2, 1 and 7, but it's also listed in numerous other parts of the Bible. Love God and love each other as yourselves or love your neighbor as yourselves. Okay. So in other words, your job's already hard enough, brothers and sisters. All of you, I, I, without knowing who, what each and every one of you is going through, uh, for my students, I get it. Um, I had to grade down my, my grad school students for not turning on their Zoom videos uh, throughout the whole semester. So they kind of got worse grades as a result of not turning on their Zoom cameras, right? So I know it's hard. Um, and for the, for the employees of, on the call, you know, trying to determine whether to go back in person or to keep on Zooming from home, difficult. Right, especially if uh, kids are running in and out of the house or those sort of things. And so our jobs here are already hard enough as it is. We understand that the enemy is Satan. And so Satan is about distraction, doubt and deception. Okay. Um, so if you can remember those three is sort of the things to prevent ourselves from, from falling prey to, or if we do fall prey to, we ask God to rescue us, but distraction, doubt and deception. And then more, most importantly, I think this is sort of the, the hitting home point. Um, the more we get caught up into the weeds, we lose out on precious opportunities to have God use us for his good. So, so that is the main point going back to verses 28 to 30. The servants, they desperately wanted to please the owner by pulling out the weeds, but keeping the good stuff. And, and as we know, I, I'm sure the technology exists now, but in, in ancient times, that technology was nowhere around. And so if you did pull up the weeds, you'd pull up the roots of the good stuff. And therefore, you'd have a, you, you wouldn't have a bumper crop, but you'd have a destroyed crop. And so if we understand that we are God's crop, uh, it'll make us think carefully about who we uh, keep in our lives, but also who we invest time in our lives uh, with. And so my hope is that as a simpleton answer, a uh, very simple answer would be, uh, let's make sure we don't lose out on opportunities to, to have God use us for his good. And so whether that's helping out with uh, in-person services as Fourth Home opens up, whether that's missions, uh, I don't want to hammer that home for you, but whether that is just being one of the shining lights in your classrooms, we have, we have our, uh, we have our plan, right? And so let's not be distracted or doubt the plan or be uh, deceived from a different plan. Okay. And so that's what sort of what I'll leave, uh, leave you guys with as a congregation is that my, my hope very much is that as we transition towards being in person, um, that'll galvanize to us to be uh, even more fervent in our faith, but also to be uh, just a teensy more loving to uh, the people that we may have judged before, because we don't know if they're, we know they're God's crop, and yet we don't know if they're ultimately God's crop, if, if you kind of catch my drift, okay? So um, let me pray us out before I turn it back to Sister Rebecca. Uh, God, thank you for this congregation. I'm grateful for the privilege to, um, to speak to them so regularly. I, I hope that some of the stuff hits home, uh, particularly for me. Uh, as one of your most judgmental servants, Father. And so I pray, Father, that you would help me uh, internalize the message here and to be more loving to those around me and to be more genuine with those that, inter that I interact with, as well as for the brothers and sisters here. So we thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.